Lord, in time of prayer, let us pray. Lord, your word calls all creation to praise you. Lord, your word calls even us to praise you, Lord, because you are worthy of all praise. You are the sovereign God. And Lord, we lift up your name this morning. We thank you, Lord, for being the sovereign God over everything. We thank you for being our creator and our sustainer. Lord, we know that no one is greater than you, that no one is mightier than you, that no one is wiser than you. And Lord, because of this, you are so worthy, more than all the false gods of our culture, more than all the false gods of the past. And Lord, because you are great, because you are the mighty God, it is worth, Lord, knowing you. You are the God of all comfort. You are the Father of mercies. You are the ever-present God in time of trouble. You are our refuge and our place of safety. Lord, you are our eternal Savior. You are the creator of heaven and earth. You are the Lord of righteousness. You are the judge of all things. Lord, you are the justifier of all who believe in the Lord Jesus. Lord, you are unspeakably great. You are greatly to be praised. And Lord, the eyes of all look to you. And you give them their food in due time, as the psalmist says. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Lord, may we seek satisfaction in you and you alone. Lord, we thank you for the good news of salvation. We thank you, Lord, that though we are poor in soul and spirit, we are needy that you have filled our cups overflowing. Lord, we were in darkness, but you have shown us the light of life. Lord, we were in bondage to sin, but you brought us and made us slaves to righteousness. Lord, you have become for us a place of refuge, our fortress, our rock, and our redeemer. Lord, people in this world are searching for a savior, but they're looking for it in all the wrong places. They're in utter darkness. But Lord, you provide the light of your gospel. May your gospel light shine on those who are in darkness. And Lord, when they see that light, may they not repel it. But Lord, may they come to the light of the knowledge of the Son of God and repent of their sins and turn to you. And Lord, us as believers, make us to be bold reflections of the gospel, of the gospel message of salvation. Lord, use both our lives and our lips to tell the world of the glory of Christ, to glory in the cross, to glory in the atonement for our sins. Lord, we know that all things are in your hands and that you will not permit us to be tempted beyond what we're able. Lord, we know that all things are in your hands and that our days and times are in your hands. So, Lord, may we continue to look to you in times of plenty and in times of lack. Lord, also pray that you deliver us from evil. See us safely and speedily through all the trials in life, Lord. See us safely through the culture around us that is increasingly hostile to biblical Christianity and to the church and to your people. Lord, we thank you for our churches in our area who are proclaiming the true gospel of Jesus Christ, that you continue to strengthen those men, men that I know personally who are leading their uh, churches. We pray for Bob, 
down at Anderson Bible, Lord, strengthen that congregation. They are really in a time of suffering as a church, but they're still persevering in ministry. Strengthen those members. May they continue to support the ministry of Anderson Bible Church and, and their elders. And strengthen Bob with his help, as his health rather, as he has to take care of his dear wife, Marianne, and also help shepherd the flock of God. Lord, strengthen him in his body, in his mind, and in his spirit. As he leads as a faithful husband and also a faithful shepherd of your people. Lord, remember Carlton and the elders at Grace Fellowship the growing pains that they're having as a church continue to help those men to shepherd that flock well and Phil down at Redeemer and Anthony at Christian Fellowship and other like-minded brothers uh, Justin Holland at Mountain View and Cody Hill at Iron City brother uh, Curly down at First Baptist Lineville Josh Henderson at Southside Baptist in Talladega Lord, strengthen all the brethren that are leading your churches. May they continue to preach the gospel of God. May they continue to be faithful shepherds to the flock. And Lord, send faithful members to those churches that they may be faithful to the call of all believers to be faithful to their churches and to pray for their pastors and support the work of ministry at their local church. Lord, in the times in which we're living, the, the church is the beacon and buttress of truth, as, as Paul said. The church is the beacon of truth. We are the proclaimers of truth, Lord, and may we do that faithfully. And may our church members be strengthened by the truth that they hear and take that truth out into the world to let them know that it is Christ or chaos, to let them know that Jesus saves and he is the only way to the Father. Lord, as I preach this morning about your sovereignty as it is found in this passage, fill me with your spirit to preach this text well to your glory. And also, Lord, send your spirit to illuminate your truth to us this morning. Lord, refresh us by your word, grow us by your word, and strengthen us by your word. In Christ's name I pray, amen. 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 <clears throat> you know where we are in the book of Ephesians, no secret. This is the sixth sermon in the first chapter of this book. And we're working from our title, The Sovereignty of God. And I think I have two principles. Excuse me, here on the next slide, and we'll get to that. But this morning, we're going to talk about the sovereignty of God in relation to salvation and our election and our calling as saints and faithful in relation to the blessings that we have in Christ and the cause of Christ and how the sovereignty of God relates to that. So we're going to look at verses 11 and 12 this morning. And as I have been doing, I'm going to start from the beginning of the chapter so we can get the full context of the passage. So it says here, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons 
through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and in earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Amen. This is speaking of the sovereignty of God that Paul is talking about here. We're talking about sovereignty and what that means and how it looks. The first thing I want to bring to your attention is the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. I preached on attributes of God, I think back in 2021, and I did uh, before that in 2017, and one of the attributes of God is his sovereignty. When you think about the word sovereign in our day, you think about a, a ruler or a, a leader, so, so, something like a, a king, like our Queen Elizabeth uh, was a sovereign. She was the Queen of England. That is a, a sovereign position, a sovereign title, king or queen or president. So a sovereign is like a, a ruler, someone who who rules. Even all the earthly sovereigns have a sovereign God to whom they ought to give account. Uh, A.W. Pink in his great book, the, uh, the Attributes of God, said this about the sovereignty of God. He said, the sovereignty of God may be defined as the exercise of his supremacy being infinitely above the highest creature. He is the most high, Lord of heaven and earth, subject to none, influenced by none, absolutely independent. God does as he pleases, only as he pleases, always as he pleases. None can thwart him, none can hinder him. So his own word expressly declares, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. That's Isaiah 46 and 10. Divine sovereignty means that God is God in fact as well as in name, that he is on the throne of the universe directing all things and working all things after the counsel of his own will. That is what we have to have in mind when we think about the sovereignty of God, that God is the absolute ruler that God alone is God and there is no other God besides him. Charles Spurgeon, in his sermon on Matthew 20 and 15, said this. He says, There is no attribute more comforting to his children than that of God's sovereignty. Under the most adverse circumstances, in the most severe trials, they believe that sovereignty has ordained their afflictions, that sovereignty overrules them, and that sovereignty will sanctify them all. There's nothing for which the children of God ought more earnestly to contend than the doctrine of their master over all creation. The kingship of God over all the works of his own hands, the throne of God, and his right to sit upon that throne. Spurgeon continues, bear with me. And on the other hand, there's no doctrine more hated by those of the world, no truth of which they have made such a football as the great stupendous, but yet most certain doctrine of the sovereignty of the influence of the infinite Jehovah. Men will allow God to be everywhere except on his throne. They will allow him to be in his workshop to fashion worlds and make stars. They will allow him to be 
his uh, almary to dispense his alms and bestow his bounties. They will allow him to sustain the earth and bear up the pillars thereof, or light the lamps of heaven, or rule the waves of the ever-moving ocean. But when God ascends to his throne, his creatures then gnash their teeth. So Spurgeon is telling us that for the believer, the sovereignty of God is something that is sweet to us. But for the unbeliever, they hate the fact that there is a sovereign God. They like God for certain things, but not for the fact that he rules and reigns. Because we live in a world now where people are trying to subvert nature and trying to go against nature, against what God created, against the world that God created, against the order that the sovereign God has created. We have man in open rebellion against that. Why? Because they hate the sovereignty of God. They don't want to cede their little authority to a sovereign above them. Man wants to be his own sovereign. Man wants to be his own God. That's why the glorification of self is so accepted in our culture because in secular humanism, man is the center, not God. In secular humanism, man is the one who solves the problems of the world, not God. Man has created the problems, and you have to leave it up to man to solve the problems. But when man tries to solve his own problem, he creates even more problems because man cannot solve the problems of this world. Only a sovereign God can. But rebellious man doesn't believe in the sovereignty of God. But we, as believers, guess what? We ought to be comforted by the sovereignty of God. When we are enduring trials, we should whisper in our souls, God is sovereign. You know, people say the phrase, God is in control, is almost like a cliche. Well, you know, God is in control. But do we really mean that when we say it? Do we know what we're saying when we utter those words? God is in control. We say it as if, oh well, I might as well give up. God is in control. But that's not what that should mean when we say that. When we say God is in control, we're saying that God is sovereign and that God has our life in his hand. Our life and times are in his hand. God knows what he is doing with us. God is smarter than me. God is wiser than me. God is the one who gives me breath. So why are you worried, O oh soul? Hope in God. Why do we hope in God? Because he is sovereign. Because it is he who made the heavens and the earth. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. And because God made us, guess what? He knows us. He knows what's best for us. And because of that, he's going to do what is good for us because he is sovereign. He knows all. He sees all. He hears all. God is not somewhere up there learning. God doesn't learn. He just knows because he's God. God is not learning any new information. God is not surprised at the trials that we go through because he is sovereign. So when we're looking at this excuse me, passage here, we want to keep in mind about the sovereignty of God in blessing us with the blessings in the heavenly places. But before I finish my introduction, I want to read this to you from uh, the theologian uh, Lance Hendrickson. He says, Neither fate nor human merit determines our destiny. The benevolent purpose that we should be holy and faultless, sons of God, destined to glory him forever. He's talking about verses 4, 5, and 6 in this passage. Is fixed, being part of a larger universe-embracing plan. Not only did God make this plan that includes absolutely all things that ever take place in heaven, on earth, or in hell, 
past, present, and even the future pertaining to both believers and unbelievers, to angels and devils, to physical as well as spiritual energies and units of existence, both large and small. He also wholly carries it out. His providence in time is as comprehensive as his decree from eternity. God has a plan for all his creatures, and he is working that plan out right now. We see the chaos in our world that is rejecting God. But the saints under it all, God is sovereign. We can rest in that truth that he is sovereign, that he is Lord, that he, he's got it. You know, when people say God's got it, no, he does have it. He truly does. And Lance Henderson is telling us that God makes his plan that includes absolutely all things that ever take place, past, present, and future. The physical and the spiritual world, things in heaven and in hell. God has complete control over all of these things. Now, if God is sovereign over the greater, the most severe evil conditions like what we see in our world, the most powerful men, if God is sovereign over time and space, then he is certainly sovereign over the lesser things, over believers and their circumstances. God is sovereign over the big things, friends, but he's also sovereign over your life. He is sovereign over your circumstances. He is sovereign over your condition. You may say, oh, God is not concerned about me. He has bigger fish to fry, as we would say. He has bigger things to worry about. No, God cares about you. It's like the old song, his eyes on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. How's it go? Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he, his eyes on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. I see him because I'm happy. I see him because I'm free. His eyes on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. I love the hymn. It is so true because God is watching us. His eyes are on us. Why? Because he's sovereign. He's sovereign. He's sovereign. And that is something that we must hold to. Now, God's sovereignty is clear and it is taught even in the Old Testament. Psalm 105, the psalmist says this. It says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing psalms to him, talk of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face forevermore. Remember his marvelous works which he has done, his wonders, and all the judgments of his mouth. Oh, seed of Abraham, his servant, you children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the word which he commanded for a thousand generations. This, this psalm is all about the eternal faithfulness, the eternal sovereignty of God over all of his creation. God is sovereign. He does all these wondrous works. Why? Because he's God. We can't do them. We can't do any of these wondrous works. Only the Lord can. Psalm 115. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name. Give glory because of your mercy, because of your truth. Why should the nation say, so where is their God? But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Listen to this. Their idols, the idols of the nations, the the, the pagans, the idolaters of our day. Their idols are silver and gold, 
remember, you're contrasting this with our God is in heaven and he does whatever he pleases. This is the sovereign God in contrast to our little petty idols that we look to. The idols of silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They are mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through their throats. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. And then the psalmist says, O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. Why do they trust in him? Because he is in heaven and he does whatever pleases him. We trust in the God of heaven. We don't trust in these idols. We don't trust in them. Because they're not sovereign. They can't do anything for us. They promise the idols of our culture over promise and under deliver. As opposed to the sovereign God. God's sovereignty is also taught in the New Testament. I think about Romans 8 and 28. We know that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord, to those who are called according to his purpose, his sovereign purpose. That is the sovereignty of God. So Ephesians 1.11 tells us, in whom we also have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, it sounds like Romans 8.28, right? All things after the counsel of his own will. Now, the word counsel, the Greek word for that means a plan or a scheme or a, a program. It is a very strong word. So, working things according to God's counsel, that means according to God's plan, according to his scheme, according to his program. This shows us that God has a plan. He's not just randomly doing things. You know, uh, maybe five, ten years ago or so, the popular saying in culture was, that's so random. There's nothing random in this life. There's nothing random in your life. Everything in your life is orchestrated by the sovereignty of God. There's no, there are no random events. There are no random meetings. There are no chance encounters, as people say. No, everything is under the sovereignty of God. We're going to look at that chance thing here in a little bit as we get more to the text. And then the word will is a desire or a volition under your own power. So ultimately when we think about sovereignty, you have to think about the fact that God is number one. God is the supreme. God is the sovereign. So this leads us to our two principles here on the next slide. The first one is, the first principle deals with verse 11, that we are predestined according to the plan of him who is God, who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Now the clause in here, since we were predestined or predestined in some text, This phrase means that it is added to underline, once again, God's initiative in redeeming his people. We're looking back at verses 4 and 5 in verse 9. Verse 4 says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Verse 5, he predestined us for adoption as sons according to the purpose of his will. And then we see it again in verse 9. Making known to us the mission of his will according to whose purpose? His purpose. So we see in those verses, as well as this one, that God's initiative in redeeming his people is his initiative alone. It is according to his will. It is his prerogative. 
The calling to serve God's glory in the gospel was determined by him before all time. So what is the root of this? Our salvation. Our being redeemed is God's sovereign will. We had nothing to do with it. We had no choice in the matter. So we have three terms for God's will in the Greek. One is plan, one is purpose, and one is will. And all of them are used here in verse 11. All of them are used here in this verse. And these things show that God's own will and that of no other directs his actions. You know, when we read the definition of the sovereignty of God from A.W. Pink, A.W. Pink said that God has no outside influence. A true sovereign is not influenced by anyone outside of him. And God being one in himself, one in essence, he does not receive influence from anything outside of him. We cannot persuade God to do anything that he has not sovereignly decreed. At all. Daniel 4 and 35. Daniel said himself, He does, he God, Yahweh, in, in that context, does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? We can't look at God and say, Lord, what are you doing? What is your problem? We can't look at the sovereign God and say that. <coughs> if I say that, I might as well look and see if lightning is going to come down from somewhere. <laughs> we can't look at God and say, what are you doing? We want to know, don't we? Mm -hmm. Don't we want to know we're suffering, Lord? What, what, is, what is the purpose in this? Are we going to always get the answer? No. Instead of trying to figure out God, instead of trying to guess and cajole and ask your friends, what do you think God is doing? Just trust God. You pray and you trust in the sovereignty of God that he is going to take care of you. Daniel had to do this his whole life. He was living in exile in Babylon. And he prayed and, and pondered the same thing. He says God does according again to his will among the hosts of heaven. No one can stay his hand. No one can stop God from doing what he's doing. No one can thwart the plans of God that he has for your life. Now, the truth of God's omnipotence, his all-being all-powerful, and his independence from creation. Remember, God is separate from creation. He is independent from creation. He is not part of creation. This is not pantheism. God is independent of his creation. Now, the truth of that is in contrast to the old pagan beliefs of the Ephesians. Remember, the Ephesian culture was an ancient uh, Roman culture. And they worshipped uh, pagan gods, one of them being Zeus. Who's heard of Zeus, the god of lightning? The small g, false god of lightning. There's no such thing. Zeus is the father of the gods. He's the god of all pagan gods. He's like the alpha god. You know, he's like the big man on campus god. You know, Zeus is like up there on the, the pantheon of of Roman gods and Greek gods, Zeus is like it. Now, this is where the paganism comes in and what Paul is addressing. What he is telling them in this verse, obtaining an inheritance I mean predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, he is speaking to Ephesians who are living in the midst of of a pagan culture that worships gods who they believe are the true gods. 
So the theologian S.M. Ball, or Bow, in his commentary on this verse, and when I was studying this this week, I said, wow, I did not know that, but now I know. He says, one of the more memorable examples of this about uh, Zeus was when Zeus held up the golden scales and sorrowfully acknowledged that the death of his hero, Hector of Troy, was sealed by the fates at the hands of Achilles. Who's heard of Achilles? Like your Achilles tendon? Achilles was a Greek god also. Think about that. You have a tendon in your body named after a Greek god, the Achilles tendon. That's what it's named after. Anyway, the Ephesians themselves bowed to Lady Luck, speaking of St. Patrick's Day, or fate in their affairs by prefacing their many public actions with a dedication to the goddess Tyche, that's T-Y-C-H-E, which means luck, or more commonly, Agathe Tyche, which means good luck. When I read this, I said, oh, so that's the origin of luck and good luck and fate. It came from ancient uh, pagan cultures. You hear people talk, so talk about lady luck. Well, we say good luck, right? We just said, hey, man, I'm about to take this test. Good luck. <laughs> you don't realize it, but we're invoking uh, pagan phrases. I mean, we know it's that anyway, but thinking about the origins of it. So this is what the Ephesians did. They bowed down to Lady Luck. They worshiped luck and fate in their affairs, again, by prefacing their many public actions with a dedication to the goddess Luck. So in other words, before they did anything in public, they, they went before Lady Luck to get, quote, good luck before they did certain things. Isn't that interesting? He continues, in Paul's gospel, there is no competing arbitrary luck, but an omnipotent God who has graciously revealed the mystery of his will. So Paul's telling the Ephesians, look, you serve a sovereign God. Your salvation, your blessings that you have in the beloved are not the result of some type of good luck or some type of fate. But they come as being recipients of a sovereign God who did what? Who gave you an inheritance according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That is where your spiritual blessings come from. That is where your calling as a saint comes from. That is where your adoption as sons comes from. It didn't come from a stroke of good luck. It didn't come from invoking some type of pagan god or performing some type of pagan ritual. No, it came at the hands of a sovereign, omnipotent God, an all-powerful God who knows all, who sees all, and who does all to the glory of his name. There's no salvation to be found in any of these things in the culture. There's no salvation to be found in good luck or in fate or in chance or in happenstance or in good karma. There's no salvation to be found in any of those things. Instead, guess what? We have something definite. We have something concrete. All these other things, all this luck and chance and fate is arbitrary. You can flip a coin all you want. You can carry a lucky rabbit's foot around or have some good luck charm or whatever. That stuff is not going to do you any good. We have a sovereign God who does all things according to the counsel of his will. His sovereignty has purpose. And another thing about God's sovereignty, his, his actions are not contingent upon historical developments on earth. Nothing that happens on this earth would change God's actions. 
he is absolute. He has absolute sovereign control. And he has a plan of salvation that guides history in accordance with his will. And we need to be encouraged by this, people. The forces of evil are powerless against the divine plan and purposes of God. I'll say that again. The forces of evil are powerless against the divine plan and purposes of God. Why? Because God <laughs> is in the process of working out everything according to his providential purposes. And there's no evil force in this world that can stop that. None. Anywhere. There's nothing too difficult for God to do. And this applies especially to his predestined choice of every believer. <coughs> we belong to God as his inheritance people. We are his inheritance. We are his choice because of his sovereign will. God will protect each of us. Why? Because we are his children, because we belong to him. God takes pleasure in seeing his will worked out in the lives of his children. Just like a parent loves to see that child growing and maturing, it brings joy to that parent. Guess what? The same thing when God does things according to his will, he sees his will worked out in the lives of his children. God takes pleasure in that. God takes pleasure in that. He takes pleasure in his children. So Paul wants his readers to realize how incredibly blessed and privileged we are to have the God of all creation <coughs> care so mightily for us. And we as believers should be humble enough to realize how incredibly blessed and privileged we are to be the children of God. And recipients, recipients rather, of God's sovereign plan. That is something to be happy and blessed about and, and grateful for. Amen? Amen. Second principle, <coughs> the purpose of God's sovereign action on our behalf is that we might exist for the praise of his glory. We see this in verse 12, which says again, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. This whole section is about praising God, the praise that he deserves for all the blessings that he has poured out in our lives. And go, again, going back to verse 3, bless us with all spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse 4, chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. Verse 5, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Christ. Verse 6, we are accepted or blessed in the beloved. Verse 7, we have redemption through his blood. We have forgiveness of sins according to his grace that he lavished upon us in verse 8. All these things are caused to bring praise and glory to God. Praise be to God who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. This is the very meaning of our existence. The fact that God has given us all these spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. We exist as his children. We exist as his heirs. Again, he's richly lavished his blessings on us. And we are the recipients of his mighty work. And this praise is due his glory, or the uh, Greek word for glory is doxa. That's where we get the word doxology from that we sing at the end of church. Well, what are the words to it? Praise God from what? Whom all blessings flow. What blessings? The blessings that we've been preaching the last five weeks. 
the blessings of being a saint and being the faithful, the blessings of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, the blessing of being chosen for the foundation of the world, the blessings of being adopted as his sons, the blessings of being in the beloved, in Christ, the blessings of redemption and forgiveness of sins, the blessings of being lavished with all these spiritual blessings upon us in all wisdom. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. That's why we sing that. That's why we sing it with glorious praise because we're praising God for his blessings from him being the sovereign God. It is a Trinitarian blessing. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Three in one. That's why we sing the doxa, the doxology. It is giving glory to God. It's summing up all the magnificent generosity and gifts on our behalf. That is the purpose of God's sovereign action. So that, he said in verse 12, we who are the first to hope might be to the praise of his glory. That is why, that is the purpose of that sovereign choosing. And we praise God for it. The outworking of God's gracious purposes is for his own glory. God is gracious to us for his glory, not for ours. We're not to take that glory upon ourselves. We were the first to put our hope in Christ. Now, there's been debate about this part of this uh, verse because some think that it is speaking uh, to uh, the Jews of his day, the Jewish Christians, and some think... Uh, the Gentiles, whether it was Jewish believers who turned to Christ before the Gentiles. But I think that the we and us in verses 3 through 10 have referred to all Christians. So it is for those who were the first to hope in Christ. That is what his sovereignty is for and to be appreciated by. We put our hope in him beforehand. Paul is celebrating the further blessing that in Christ we who are chosen children of God are unable to place our hope entirely in him. So because God is sovereign we praise his glory. We praise him for his glory. We always have cause to praise God people. Because he's sovereign. This is like I said last week. Right now, you are in the will of God. Right where you are right now is where God wants you to be in your life. No matter where it is, no matter what your lot is in life. What's the song we sing? It is well. Whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That is not a song of resignation. That is a song of, it is well, why? Because you have a sovereign God who you know sees you. You know a sovereign God who is working all things in your life according to the purpose of his will. You know that God is working out his perfect will in your life, no matter what it is. And because you know that, Guess what? It is well with your soul. It is well with your soul. So Paul here, as we get ready to go to our applications here, he's, he's drilling down on getting the Ephesians to see the bigger purpose of these blessings and the bigger reason for these blessings and wants us to see the same thing, that it is all in the sovereign plan 
of God. It is according to his will that these things take place. Amen? Amen. All right, just a couple things in application here. First of all, God's sovereignty extends to our salvation and calling as saints and the blessings thereunto, the blessings that, that come with it. All of that is because of God's sovereignty. I touched on that in the sermon. All the spiritual, that we ha spiritual blessings that we have are because of God's sovereignty. And because he's sovereign, guess what? No one can take those blessings from us. No, no circumstance that happens in life, in life, no, no evil scheme of man can take away the blessings that we have. None. There's nothing that any creature can do that can take away the spiritual blessing that we have in Christ. If God gave them, God sustains them. And as God sustains them, he's going to carry us home with him. There's nothing that anything, any man, any system on this earth can take away from us that has been given to us by God. Absolutely nothing. And then lastly, recognition of God's sovereignty will always bring God glory. Again, we're going through various trials. We have various worries, things that keep us up at night or keep us up during the day or whatever the case may be. When we recognize and rest in God's sovereignty, we will always bring God glory even in the midst of those things. We will always bring God glory. Recognizing his sovereignty does that. It, it centers us it centers our mind and our thoughts on the throne. And the fact that we know God is truly in charge. That he is truly ruling and reigning in our life. And he does that even with the spiritual blessings that we have. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you are sovereign and not us. We thank you, Lord, that you rule and not us. Lord, when we try to rule our lives, we make a mess of it. And we have always done that. So, Lord, I pray that you encourage the faithful this morning to trust in you, trust in your sovereignty, trust in the fact that you are truly in charge wherever we are in life right now let us look to you and Lord I pray for those who are unbelievers who hate your sovereignty Lord that you may send the gospel their way that they may hear the gospel believe the gospel and be saved by that gospel that you may grant them repentance so that they can experience the blessings, the spiritual blessings and not forfeit such a great salvation Lord thank you for your word this morning and may we take what we hear today and live it out this week in Christ's name I pray Amen, Amen. <coughs>